Hi, I'm Ryan, the Synthetic Rules Guy. I'm Ben, the Test Subject Player. I'm Helen, the Acid-Blooded Storyteller. And I'm Jared, the Screaming Game Master. And together, we are the Starting Equipment Podcast. We are here for another game review, and this time, it is Free League's Alien. There have been two Alien games released. There was the one in 1992, I believe, that was mediocre at best. And then the recent release is Free League's Alien, which is widely acclaimed. All right, crew, we're here to do a job and go by strict company protocols. This review has already been recorded by Mother, so we're going to have to go through it and make sure to cross all our T's and dot our I's. That's right. We are talking about the critically acclaimed TTRPG Alien by Free League Publishing. I might be a huge fan of the series, and silliness aside, this is a very interesting game in a bunch of different ways, but mostly because almost everyone knows at least what a xenomorph looks like, even if they haven't watched any of the movies. If you haven't, please go watch the 1979 sci-fi horror classic Alien, and then the legendary 1986 sci-fi action thriller Aliens, and come back. If you'd rather continue listening to us ramble on about it, we'll discuss the Xenomorph more in depth later. We should give a shout out to the franchise for featuring strong, well-written women in leading roles. Woo! Yeah. For a variety of reasons, this will be the first and last time we mention that in this podcast episode, but Alien Franchise, we see you and appreciate you. And Free League, we see and appreciate you continuing that trend. So, how about somebody describes the room? Ryan, how about you? Why don't you describe the room? Your hypersleep pod opens. You feel like frozen, never fresh microwaved shit. The ship android should be coming by with your caffeine tablet and helping you to the showers, but they're not here. You should be mad about that, but it's so hard to focus while these sharp overhead lights and distant droning keep making you dry heave. An automated voice pleasantly chirps. Emergency crew resuscitation completed. Please find your nearest ship's officer and report for duty. You shift yourself to the edge of your pod and set your foot down into the congealed blood puddle on the floor. How about you, Ben? Why don't you describe the room? You did endless rounds of funding and searching for investors for your colony until finally an angel investor comes in and finances the whole thing, but under the condition that you visit a specific world. It seems resource-rich, but has been bypassed many times by other colony ships. You're desperate, so you take the offer. What's the worst that could happen? Jared, why don't you describe the room? You open your eyes. The blood dripping from the ceiling falls onto your forehead. Fuck, it wasn't a dream. You hear a skittering in the hallway. It's time to run. Get up, you scream at yourself. The skittering is coming closer and closer and closer. You realize you can't stand up. You have been sitting here so long, panicking. The blood you were laying in has congealed. You are stuck to the floor. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Not one cat in any of those descriptions, guys. Not one. Well, we don't cat. just start with the cat. The cat's got to be coming later and be the hero. You got to earn the cat. You got to work yeah. up to the cat. I mean, come on. Yeah. You can't just use your best narrative device in the first introduction. I mean, I don't know. They were pretty quick to whip out that mechanic loader thing. <laughs> they were pretty quick to whip out the loader. You're right about that. Yeah, All right. A little foreshadowing. Foreshadowing in air quotes. <laughs> um, Chekhov's fork loader. <laughs> Chekhov's mech suit. Yeah. It's like they forgot and they shot everything else and then they realized they'd never introduced the forkloader and they caught Sigourney Weaver just as she was leaving the studio. It was like, wait, wait, you need to come back in. We need to do one more scene. 
All right. So anyways, let's talk about the setting for Alien. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Spoiler. It ain't great. (laughs) Joy and rainbows abound. The future sucks, people. All right. I'm just going to throw that out there. It looked pretty familiar. Yeah. So imagine, if you possibly can, a corporate hellscape where capitalism has broken these earthly shackles and has released Gordon Gecko onto the universe. Remember, kids, no two countries with McDonald's in them have ever gone to war. That that's not that's not true. Uh, I'm sure there's other benefits. Uh, no. No, there isn't. So in the future, there are still governments and there is still space OSHA and all that happy fun stuff. But for almost everybody, the existence of those safeguards and those governments is hypothetical. Man, I really want to play the OSHA alien game where you show up and like, you can't just not have handrails next to this giant planet destroying laser. Get it together. This hazmat hard suit is just PVC. (laughs) (laughs) and that one's just cellophane oh my god can we please play this game (laughs) yeah that's actually pretty great we just found the few shot that i want to play more than anything else we've come up with maybe i'll throw it together for when like when we can't play our normal game one week so this is a sci-fi version of the building of the transcontinental railroad incalculable sums of money and terrible crimes are being committed in the name of progress. Big old quotation marks around that progress. Money. In the name of money. Unfortunately, unlike the Transcontinental Railroad, there is no end point for this. No railroad being built, no chasms being overcome, no mountains being blasted through. You are simply part of a machine whose only purpose is to make capital M more. In this universe, you are nobody and you are risking a great deal for shockingly little. This world is about as far as you can possibly be from the utopian dreams of the game Lancer. It's just like polar opposite. Just spin it around. (laughs) Yep. Space and anything to do with it is incredibly dangerous. But somewhere out there with what feels like just a little luck and endless hard work is a nice life for you or those at home. This is pure fiction, and you have been fed it. At least in the movie universe, the characters have no chance beyond mere survival. Uh, the IDW comic series was a little bit more helpful, but like I'm emphasizing little. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's cyberpunk without the cool cyber stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so true. <laughs> it's just the dystopia. Yeah. We were promised the cyberpunk dystopia. We just got a dystopia. Anyway, all of this wonderful, and frankly, it is quite lovely, world building that the core rule book does is nice in a way that it provides backgrounds for your characters, whether they are aware of it or not. You may not be the lowest of the low, but you're damn close. And you've never been told more than someone else thought you should know. Before we go any further, it is important to note this is a long and storied franchise that has many books and movies. And while at least some of us, hi, yo, consider themselves fans, we haven't gone through every piece of media associated with the property. That was that's just practically impossible. Like uh, I have that's... other franchises I also like. Yeah, and life. Um, <laughs> this is additionally complicated by the fact that some of the media created for it is bad. It's just bad. Did someone say Predator versus Alien? 
Hey, hey, knock that off. That movie is fun and it has a great soundtrack and cool action scenes. Just because the story is nonsense and the dialogue doesn't make any sense is no reason to make fun of it. There are cool monsters and they fight each other. And much more of the body of work could maybe charitably be described as mediocre. Much like any game involving Star Wars or Star Trek, a part of your group Session Zero should be talking about what is and isn't canon in your version of this universe. And if you're playing Star Wars and you're not including the Yusu Vong, I want nothing to do with you. Strong work. That's a strong stat. That might be too political for this podcast. That's like the hottest take I possibly have. That was spicy. Yeah. (laughs) If Chewbacca doesn't die because a moon crashed into a planet, I don't want to hear anything about it. So, as I've said before, I think, on this podcast, if you object, then feel free to tell all of your friends about our podcast so that they can also listen to Jared's terrible take. Yes. Yes. Please let everyone know how wrong he is and where they can listen to him being wrong. So anyways, Free League Publishing, who put out this book, has made it clear what they are including as canon. That is Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Prometheus, and The Covenant. Nothing else is canon to them. But feel free to adjust as per your desire. And as with any game, there is nothing wrong with saying that major parts of the established canon do or do not exist as long as your entire table is willing to go along with it to better fit the themes that you as a storyteller or you as a player want to explore. You all just have to talk about it and agree with it. This is why we have a session zero. Yup. For instance, in this universe, I think the addition of the engineers, a primogenitor race who seeded the galaxy with life and who are featured somewhat in the core rulebook removed much of the wonder and mystery from the alien universe now he's talking about a different kind of engineer jared engineers forever that's definitely valid ryan is going to discuss later why adding more detail does not necessarily serve your story in a horror game but for instance the primogenitor race the engineers they have been pretty divisive among the fan base since they were introduced some like ben think they take away a lot of the mystery and some like me thinks it's interesting to be like oh yeah they created the xenomorphs as a weapon what else did they make where is it what happened to them that stuff is like super interesting to me i think the engineers themselves are cool uh i liked the cthulhu mythos style of just coming across ruins and going the fuck yeah sure yeah i'll say at a certain point if you're gonna start to get into a lot of that and explore a lot of that you begin to leave the property and that's not to say that you can't still play all of that in an aliens i mean you never have to watch alien or any of the aliens game to play this game and you read the core book and then you go through it right if you start to explore things beyond say what was in each of those movies or really even just what was in the first movie then at a certain point you're beginning to play kind of in different areas and you shouldn't necessarily feel like it has to be with this game or it has to be with this design. I do want to say I'm pretty sure that the third of the prequels, you know, the first two are Prometheus and Covenant, I'm pretty sure the third of the prequels is going to literally be entirely about the engineers. I mean, Um, mean, I'm I'm just saying sometimes death of the author is a good thing. I'm I'm just saying shots fired. I'm just saying that wasn't in the first part of the reason it didn't show the alien as much in the first movie is because the suit looked ridiculous and then all of a sudden they created a trope that defined the genre and it was not showing you the monster. 
Yeah, they yep. they had right. the actor crab walk around and filmed it, and then they realized, oh my god, that's so stupid. Yes. <laughs> okay, there is exactly one constant that will always be in any alien-branded media, and that is the alien, or as it's frequently called in-world, the xenomorph. I admire its purity. Although they come in a variety of shapes and sizes, increasingly dread and terrible, it always comes down to the xenomorph being an incredibly vicious, deadly, and prolific ambush predator. Imagine if the meanest house cat you ever met had acid blood and perpetual zoomies and liked its prey in the 150 to 300 pound range. And it's a bee-style hive mind? And it has six different stages of life, according to the core rule book. And stop. if you follow the... Stop, stop. Okay. We can go on for quite a while about how overpowered it is and all the details they've added and say lots of cool quotes from the movies. But that's not why we're here. It's why I'm here, but the rest of the me group too. overruled me. It's why we might have come here, but that's not what we're doing here. Sure. So suffice it to say, the Xenomorph and all of its variants own 25 pages in the core book. And the vast majority of that is mechanics describing all the neat ways one of them can disembowel dismember or destroy your PC. Hashtag goals. Always, and I mean always, a corporation called Wayland yutani has somehow snared the protagonist into being a part of their plan to harness the Xenomorph as a top secret bioweapon. Hey, hey now, sometimes it's other companies. It's not always Wayland yutani right, Shell fine, corporations, fine. Jared. <laughs> Shell. Cor- There's only one company. It's Wayland yutani okay, and fine. all of them are shells. Fine. We can agree on one other constant. In every timeline, weapons make the most money. Just to be clear, explicitly in the fluff in the book, there are still three companies that exist that divide the universe. But And there is some actual get. governments in things. Yes, I mean, sort of. All three corporations are comically evil. Like, not even like, ooh. But, but like, what if... What if we put a laser on top of the Xenomorph's head? Well, that would clearly make it a better weapon, and we could sell it to somebody, so we should obviously do it. Clearly. Wayland Utani. Which is oddly making these three companies seem more real as I get older. Hashtag yeah. not the onion. Not the onion. Not the onion. All right, so it's going to be all of you playing the people who were paid to go and tie the laser sight to the top of the Xenomorph's head. Pretty Proceed. much. What does this lever do? Pull the lever! So for anyone who has played any other free league game, most notably Mutant Year Zero, the Blade Runner RPG, and Forbidden Lands, the rule system for Alien is based on the Year Zero rule system that free league uses for almost all of its games. In brief, Alien is a game designed for you to create characters quickly and is easy to learn, both of which are very good since your characters are not expected or even supposed to survive for long. This is a game far more about its villains than its protagonists. Crew expendable. Year Zero, all of Year Zero games, use a gussied up D6 system. And what I mean by that is they put stupid symbols in place of the ones and all of the sixes in the book. We have given our collective feelings on this in the past. Do not, it's, what, mm, no, what, like, we're not, you, just have, make cool dice, sure, but they should be normal dice. 
to be fair, they are normal dice. They're just d6, and you only care, you care about the, the sixes and some of the ones. They just like to make, you know, cool looking dice. And try and I love cool them. looking dice. I will be real with you, as much as I hate game specific dice, the fact that there are face huggers on the ones for the stress dice makes me giggle a little inside. Have cool dice. Just the takeaway is you need D6s and you have to be able to distinguish between different groups of them. So a different color or style or you stuff. You need two different colors of D6s yes. to play this game. Yep, that's literally it. Also, one thing you should know is that Alien is in many ways a board game with narrative elements, especially if you're playing a cinematic game, which we'll discuss more in depth later. The gist, though, is that you'll need maps and tokens in order to play the game. The rulebook helpfully has a bunch of them, but this is an important consideration if you're thinking of running Alien. You mean being the game mother? I absolutely do not mean that, even if that is the name that they gave that job. If I ever run this game, I am talking in a robot voice exclusively. Run it over like Discord and, and yeah. put a bot on there Whoa. to like oh, mess with your voice, change your name. Your absolutely. Name. I'm going to be a lady robot and I'm going to make you call me game mother before I acknowledge you in any way. Are you still there? Yeah. Worst game ever. There you are. Okay. To give you an idea of how important maps are to this game, movement is done by the section of the ship. Most xenomorphs can move two zones per turn, and the maps have methods of connection, vents, crawl spaces, elevators, whatever, that aren't necessarily accessible by the crew. To be fair, if you get up into a crawl space and there's aliens on the ship... You're dead now. Yeah. You can get into the crawl space. That's a worse idea. You made a life choice. Yeah. All right, character creation. You could instead call it designing optimal murder victims. Let's get this out of the way first. You're allowed to play an android if you want. They do stats slightly different, and just because of the minor headaches they cause for the GM, I wouldn't recommend them for your first game. It is literally the only group that adds a new subsystem to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just saying that this group adds a subsystem. When we play the games that we play, where there might be four or five subsystems per class... No, that's a really good point to bring up because I don't necessarily hate subsystems. But when your game is incredibly streamlined and smooth and is functioning well without them, and then one group adds them, that's a problem. It's different when you're playing a game where literally every character has their own subsystem because you know that's what you're signing up for. It feels different when it's like eight classes are easy and one class is full of garbage. Kind of reminds me of the, uh, I mean, not necessarily for the power differential, but it reminds me of the old Buffy tabletop where yes you were should. all a bunch of normal people and then there was the slayer who was built different and better <laughs> in every way yeah that's kind of how i feel about the synthetics where i mean they don't have some of the hunger mechanics and things like that they just cause some problems not overwhelming problems they fulfill an important role in the game and in the setting but keep in mind that they play differently yep they're actually my favorite but you shouldn't play them in your first game. Or you know, work it out of your table. Like, honestly, work it out of your table. Everyone needs to be fully read in. But, you know, you do you. Give it a try. So, there are nine classes, or as the game book calls them, careers. Ah, yes. Being the kid. What a career being a child is. Yes, and shut up. Someone out there wants to play Newt, and Free League wasn't going to let semantics get in the way. <laughs> 
Uh, the rest of the careers make a little more sense. There are things like company agent or colonial marshal, scientist, pilot, bunch of combat-oriented classes, the kind of things give you a false sense of security at how effective you're going to be against the xenomorph. Spoiler alert! Okay, um, <laughs> you get 14 points to spend, as you will, on the four attributes, with a minimum of two in each attribute and a maximum of four. Except for one of the attributes, called your key attribute, which can go to five, but that is dictated by your career. You also get 10 points to divide amongst the 12 skills. Up to three of those points can go in each skill associated with your key attribute. You can only put a single point into any other skill beyond those three. You also get to pick one of three talents per career. These have wildly varying effects on the game, but they're all thematically appropriate and fit each class well. Mostly things like lowering stress faster or my air quotes favorite, forcing a PC or NPC to take damage meant for you if they're in close range. The second one sure sounds like a great way to break up a gaming group? Uh, for now, let's just say you need to have a rigorous session zero. The last two are somewhat different depending on if you're playing a campaign or in cinematic mode, which basically means are you playing for a single night or is it a long-term game? Buddies and Rivals is the easiest and the most lightweight mechanically. It's also exactly what it sounds like and frankly you might well have run into something similar in another sort of game. In campaign mode you pick a buddy and a rival from the other players and in cinematic mode they are chosen for you by the GM. Commence roleplay! Now the personal agenda is wildly different depending on your game mode. In campaign mode, you simply write down and share with the GM a medium or long-term goal, and then you get an extra experience point if you do something to further that goal. But in cinematic mode or one-shot mode, as it really should be called, personal agendas are kept secret and assigned by the GM or the scenario, the story you're running, and change from act to act. You get extra successes for fulfilling these. Yay! On to the core mechanics. So these are actually pretty simple. You combine the applicable attribute number and the right skill number together and that's how many d6s you roll. You subtract or add as the GM dictates for difficulty. You need a six on the die to count as success and if you get more successes than what you need you can spend those on stunts which depending on the skill that you're rolling and the situation can let you do something extra like do extra damage in combat. Or if you're looking for food find food for more people. Right. Stuff like that. This does mean you can do this even if you have successes on the roll. This applies to everything. Combat, medical aid, jumping, everything. While your weaponry does matter a great deal in your heart, it simply adds bonuses to your damage in dice pool against a xenomorph. Because again, you're firing at a xenomorph. I just want to be clear, this is the core mechanic that is the heart of the Year Zero system. If you have ever played any of Free League's other games, that's the same. That's what they do. So there's a neat little caveat that I haven't seen elsewhere and is one of the most thematically appropriate additions I've seen in a branded game, the stress dice. So let's say you just failed a roll. Well, it turns out that that roll was super duper important. You have one last hope. You can reroll all your failures, but you will gain a stress die. You can also do this even if you have a success on the roll. Here's the thing about stress. It's super cool. You actually want to have a little bit of it. Stress is not that bad to start with. Every skill check you make, you add dice, equal to your number of stress. Sweet. And you can do this multiple times, but not on the same check. So those stress dice can still succeed. Sixes on them still count. The idea is that stress focuses your character. They know the stakes are high and they're going to do their best, 
even if it wears on the mentally. Now we get to the fun part. If you roll a one on a stress die, your character panics, which is obviously bad. The good news is that that panic is only temporary, usually lasting a single turn unless you roll really poorly on the panic chart. Yes, there is a panic chart. All the best games have panic charts. If you roll on it, you might flee, you might attack a friendly person, or you might just go catatonic. Some of the rolls on the panic chart aren't that bad. And some of them are, you know, like the least bad thing on the panic chart is you freak out and you scream, which attracts any aliens nearby. And the worst thing is you just go catatonic and become useless. For an undetermined amount of time, because you're probably going to be dead. There are a few ways to remove stress, but the most effective is to rest somewhere safe for 10 to 15 minutes. Ha ha, good luck. But then you lose that sweet, sweet dice bonus. At the same time, there is a much smaller chance of you laying down and kissing a facehugger. Both of these are good points. I mean that an optimal play style is always going to involve walking a tightrope as stress is really the only way for a player to increase their dice pool. You have to have stress to survive contact with a xenomorph, but also you might just give up and cry. Of course, the usual caveat with any role-playing game, there are some talents that mess with stress and how your character handles it. I will throw in, there are, it's not, obviously, it's not a one-on-one parallel because of how the hunger dice work, but you can kind of think of them in a similar way increasing in your pool. It's just that you're adding more dice for stress dice instead of keeping the same number of dice in your pool and changing them. Right, yeah, the the hunger mechanic from from Vampire 5th Edition. Yes. Anyway, now that we've outlined the basic rules of the game, why don't you just uh, hole up in a nice corner somewhere with a homemade flamethrower, some ginger asshole cat, and uh, wait for the Xenomorph to come calling. Because you also have to manage four resources. That's right, this game has survival mechanics. Sorry, I just, I just had a, just had a rage flush. Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. I'm here. It's okay. We're about to get to the part of it that makes me rage. So I'm going to have my rage flashback in about three seconds. (laughs) I I mean, it makes sense, right? You're in a spaceship. You're hiding from an alien. If you're going to have resource survival mechanics, this is it. This is now. Live your life if you can. You need air, water, food, and power. Basically in that order of importance. Power and air don't need to be carried, obviously, but you will need room in your pack for food and water or somewhere safe you are 100% certain you can return to once a day at least. Oh boy, rage clock. <laughs> okay, the book explicitly <laughs> states that the GM should always keep resources for the player low. They should always be on the verge of running out of something and need to go find more of it. But here's the thing. Here is the thing. It also tells you only to keep track when they matter, which means you're going to magically go in your story from like not needing to keep track of water and food to your GM telling you like, oh, by the way, you're almost out of water and food. (laughs) Yep. Rage. I feel like the thing to keep in mind, as with anything else, is it's going to depend on how much in a given plot arc that you make that the feature that is driving your story. You could even say that there are plot arcs that you have where there is resource abundance and scarcity comes from somewhere else. Yeah, this is just one of those mechanics that I don't like in general. And the reason I don't like it is because this is a mechanic that if your GM is a good GM and is responsible and all of that is a lot of fun. But it just gives a bad GM a flagrant opportunity to ruin everyone's night. I think the answer in that case is don't play with bad GMs. I mean, may we all be so blessed. You know what? I only play with you guys and some other <laughs> actually a bunch of other people. Um, anyway. <laughs> 
Wow, you made me feel good for just long enough to crush it. That was good. Good job. So well done. That's why I'm here. All right. So aside from, you know, if you were in the situation, a survival situation, right? Your spaceship crash lands and suddenly your GM tells you like, so you didn't have to worry about it before, but now you need to keep track of how much food and water and how much air is in your spacesuit. Go. So aside from all of those things, when you take gear with you, it has a carry weight and you have to make choices about how to balance your inventory. Always take the cat. You might as well just take one inventory slot off your sheet because that's where the cat is. Yeah. yeah, if I'm running or playing the game, the cat's coming. You have to look the little spacesuit for it with the little bubble around its head. Oh my goodness. And, and the one on the Okay, okay. Pale. I know I brought it up, but back to our focus. Okay. There are two formats of play. Cinematic play and campaign play. So a one-shot and, you know, a campaign. In most games, these are really similar, but in Alien, they each have a very distinct feel. And while not explicitly separate, the book does urge the DM and the players to roleplay the two styles very differently. Let's be 100% clear. Campaign mode is fine, but it has a lot of rough edges. Cinematic mode, however, mm, that is a fine slice of role-playing if everyone is on board. I imagine they made this wonderful game that is purpose-built to make the finest of alien movies as your players intentionally and accidentally get each other killed. And then someone pointed out that they needed a way for people to play a campaign campaign or else marketing would send it back to them fire marketing into the sun right that is a solution (laughs) the game expects that characters will be pre-made by the gm to fit the style of creating a movie or the traditional DD style strictly cooperative style game cinematic mode is divided into three acts the setup the tilt and the showdown the gm will need to announce when the act changes and then hand each player their new personal agenda for that act this is to be kept secret from all other players you are not here to work with them you are here to survive and to give wayland your time or money if at the end of an act the gm feels a player has advanced their agenda then that player gains a success that they can add to a role of their choosing so they can auto pass one role or even get a stunt on something? Yep, that's quite the incentive to do whatever you're supposed to do. It is the Wayland Yatani way. See, that's an excellent example of a source of plot that is not necessarily derived from the resource scarcity aspect. So you can, in fact, balance when there is resource scarcity and when the plot comes from somewhere else, like one player stabbing another player in the back, literally. Yeah, literally and figuratively. So this is also why we said earlier that it's important to have a robust session zero. In cinematic mode especially, players are expected to act like scared humans. Players are expected to act like scared humans. You know, selfish, short-sighted, and occasionally heroic. Or rather, capitalism's idea of scared humans. If someone in the group can't handle that their character has low odds, like everyone else, of being a part of the final act of the game, if you don't like the fact that your likely lifespan is very short, this probably isn't the game for you. And that is 100% fine. This is kind of a wild departure from a lot of the normal tabletop RPGs that I want to say are out there. This one really does, like Ryan said, this one really lends itself to a specific type of experience. And it's a great experience. You should try it out, but it's okay if it's not your thing. Man, selfish, short-sighted, and occasionally heroic is a great tagline for humans in a fantasy game. That's like their descriptor. (laughs) Yep. Anyways, let's talk about our critical hits. 
These are the things we love most about the setting. And for me, it's simple. The book is thematically on fucking point. The art and the writing are excellent and very true to the setting. And the book is really, really fun to read if you enjoy the horror aesthetic of the original Moose. For me, Alien is a very visual game. Possibly the most visual tabletop role-playing game I've ever read. The character sheet, the rules, the maps, even the book layout is designed for a visual person. For me at least, this makes the book very easy to read and comprehend. But I also do understand how some people might take issue with how it is laid out. There is a lot of stuff here. Not all of it will necessarily be for your group. You could play anything. You could play a company of wisecracking mercenaries, sailing the stars from bug hunt to bug hunt, or a bunch of colonists setting up a new world. Like, there's a lot here. Just ignore the ominous soundtrack and cyclopean alien ruins next door. Look, if the cyclopean alien ruins are there, that must mean that this is a good spot. Yeah, yeah, good neighbors. Yeah. They clearly knew what was up. They picked this spot. This is a good spot. You know, like an animal trail through the wood, right? So this is a, a great place because this is where all the animals go. It must be yeah. safe. Yeah. 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 Pay no attention to the strange ovals just out there occasionally opening up in the field. That's normal. You could even right. play a damn elementary school class caught in a xenomorph outbreak on a space station. No matter what story you choose to tell, there is plenty of rules, gears, guns, and vehicles for players to do whatever they want. So often when a company makes a branded game, they make the focus of the game so much more generic and watered down than it is in the source material. Not here. Nope. The xenomorphs feel like they do in Alien. Each one of them is a terrible, unique, murder-hunting death machine. Yeah. There is no melee specialist class in this game. And the only melee weapons are a stun baton and some repurposed tools. There are rules for melee combat, though. Some NPCs use them more than you will. Um... <clears throat> <laughs> I really yeah. appreciate that the designers didn't shoehorn in a class that can somehow go close quarters with a monster with diamond teeth, acid blood, and a barbed tail. But also, I will say, human weapons are a significant advantage, and they're so good a marine can actually be really competent as long as they stay out of melee range. And they do not stand directly under any fence. Anything. Uh, under any, anything but open sky. Open sky, far as the eye can see. I actually really liked how they tried to do a stealth mode. So the reason that they want you to have all these maps and tokens is because they want to emulate the scene in every alien movie where they have the little motion detector and just bing, bing. So the GM will give you the map, usually. Like, they'll give you the map of the ship, and you can see each other, but they won't tell you where the aliens are until you encounter one of the activate. So they really, really try to, to make that a big part of the game before, you know, someone shoots a gun and then, well, everyone knows where everyone is now. Or panics and screams. Yeah. Whoops. Yep. Womp womp. Uh, so let's talk about some botches. Some things that maybe were not our favorite in how they were handled. So I understand why they did it, and it's not entirely terrible, but campaign mode should have been its own supplement. It just doesn't fit, and even as written, it isn't expected to go on for very long. I'll put it this Way. You can get up to nine experience points each session, with five of those basically being automatic if you didn't take a nap. It costs five XP for a new talent or to increase an attribute or skill by one. There are 31 general talents. Not even really doing the math, I'm guessing you could play weekly for six months and you'll max out your character. Not just like max out your class, you will get everything. If you survive six months. 
Which yes. you won't. And I don't know, I think by the third time you Theseus has shipped the party, like maybe you're just playing a new game now. Just think of it as karmic hazard pay. Wow. <laughs> Despite what it's going to sound like when I read my litany of botches in a moment, I genuinely really like this game. But this and another freely title, Mutant Year Zero, are the only games that I really like that I have a lot of complaints about. This game for me is like on the knife's edge of I really like it and I really hate it. And it is on the really like it side, but man, is that distance really fit. And here are some of the many reasons why. I don't like restrictive class systems in general. They limit creativity and they make all characters of an individual class feel very similar. The fact that there isn't much in the way of air quotes leveling up further limits you. The resource system is silly. We mentioned already that there were four resources you have to keep track of. What we didn't mention is that when you have more of a resource, it runs out faster. So if you have more air, you are more likely to lose air than your last couple. Why the hell does being prepared come at a penalty? What the hell? That's really, really silly. It's dumb. Two, space combat, the way they have done it in this game, is basically one person, your pilot, makes all the decisions, and all your other characters roll to see if they helped with the pilot's plan. And you better hope that everyone rolls well, because space combat is way too deadly. One bad roll, and suddenly a party wipe space combat. This game did everything that it could to stay true to the fiction. And I think that's a mistake. They made sure they fit the fiction without making sure that it was fun. And a lot of the time it is, but there are a few moments like, yes, the Alien franchise does have that level of resource tracking and management and running out of air and dying, but that's not fun. And yes, in the cheap tin cans that these corporations would send into space, space combat would be very deadly. That's not fun. Like the spaceship will get where it's going so that the story can happen. Right. And like the power that we mentioned earlier, where if you are the company representative, you can throw other NPCs in front of you and they will take the damage for you. I love the idea of having that and having that power be NPC only, but you should not be able to just be like, oh, I put myself in a dumb position and got attacked. Guess what? You're murdered and I'm fine. Have fun sitting on the sidelines while I play the game. Boo. <laughs> Honestly, I think a lot of this in a specific one-shot experience. Again, and I'm using the word experience. Hey, it's gonna be Halloween. I'm gonna run a one-shot of Alien. Here are the type character types. I'm gonna list for you guys. I'm gonna make them for you. Tell me which one you want and I'll send you the information for that. Yup. But if you're not playing that, there are other games that do other Any things better. And I want to be clear. I do like this game. I just, I really like this game. You're also thinking in campaign mindset. I think about everything in campaign mindset. Exactly. I am GMing a game for, we just hit seven years. I always think in campaign mindset. Right. And that is completely valid. And in that way, this game does teeter on the edge of falling short mechanically, in our opinion. So like we said earlier, you need to decide what is canon for your game. And you're right, that applies to no matter what game you run. I really love the Alien franchise, but I have learned over the years that in sci-fi, fantasy, and horror franchises in particular, less is often more. You don't need an explanation for everything. And while I'm sure that Free League didn't have a huge choice in what they had to include, I think it takes a lot out of the setting 
by trying to explain how everything works and where it came from and what the purpose is. I mean, that's not something I can really blame on the publisher, right? I'm sure they were told, uh, these are all canon, you have to include them. Yeah, and I think, again, we get into the point of like, if you're not going to make it as alien as possible, why this game? Right. Yep. It's And that's kind of backed into that. I think mechanically they made a game that really captures the first Alien movie, right? It's a bunch of blue-collar workers with nary a martial character among them who get kind of accidentally screwed into running into this horrible predator and they're on their own. Yes. That's a great horror movie. And they did a great job of that. Like, if you really want to play that, this is the game for you. That's a good example of the, okay, well, we just have to survive a week and then we'll be back in system. Well, I'm getting kind of hungry. That's where a lot of these systems that I don't really know why you need this all the time. Well, that's really where they would shine. This is not the game where everyone plays a colonial marine and like, we're gonna go kick down the door and flamethrower the entire hive. That's not gonna work. That's Warhammer. You're thinking of 40k. I mean, yeah, you want to you, you you play do that fairly effectively in this. I mean, you can, but go play 40k. That's legit. it's right there. It has as much stuff written about it. And in all fairness, they do have a Colonial Marines supplement that I have not read and know nothing about. Okay, you know what? Fair enough. The, the core book really emphasizes this is a horror game, like a classic horror game. There's a monster. It's really dangerous. You're not. You have a bunch of skills that you need to use to circumvent the monster. If you feel like filet mignon, here is a filet mignon. If you feel like Hawaiian pizza, here is a filet mignon. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the wrong game. <laughs> yes. Go look up Space Hulk. All right. Let's go on to our story hooks that we came up. When you joined the Colonial Marines, they didn't lie or sugarcoat things for you. You knew you'd be living in an efficiency that makes the jail cells of previous centuries look positively lavish by comparison. You knew you would be spending most of your pay keeping your gear up to company standards, but you signed up anyway for one reason, because they promised you real, honest-to-God fresh food. And they delivered. It makes everything worth it. You'd heard the rumors of giant monsters with skin as black as the Quartermaster's heart, and although you didn't believe these rumors, you're ready for them. What you never expected was the Church of the Immaculate Incubation. These nut jobs worship those rumored monsters and want to serve them at all costs. They have taken your ship and are currently flying towards a rumored monster nest. Your small group is all that's left. You have to take back your ship and kill those lunatic whack jobs. <clears throat> Dead space. <clears throat> <laughs> Boo! Not everything is dead space. You can be in space with sadness and not have it be dead space. Get out of here. But why not be dead space? Helen, what's your story hook? I'd had a story hook, but you're not supposed to play the xenomorphs, so. Fair enough. Fine. We all have a type. I do. Ben, what do you got? I want to play the elementary school in a space station that has to escape an, a xenomorph. Okay, okay, okay. Back it up. Back it up. But you're going to play the class pets. You're all going to live, and it's going to be like Honey Heist kind of sort of thing. Oh, fuck yes. I'd play that game. <laughs> oh, my god. But goodness. then again... As you were saying, this is filet mignon, and that is, like, a cheese souffle. That is not this game. <laughs> <laughs> I want some cheese souffle. All right, Ryan, what you got? 
Wayland Utani has a problem. Humans keep dying while they try to herd their pet war crimes project, and androids keep malfunctioning and either going psychotic or developing ethics and refusing to endanger humanity by continuing their pet war crimes project. So they decided to split the difference. Crew of androids who don't know they're androids. Every time they should notice something isn't right, they take stress and gloss over it. Someone got shot and are oozing rancid milk instead of blood? Nope, that's clearly blood, plus one stress. The players know nothing until one of them critically panics and they realize everything they knew about themselves was wrong. That is clearly not blood coming out of him. He got stabbed through the chest. He should be dead. What's going on? I'm going to force that Blade Runner Easter egg into canon. Okay. I'm throwing it out there. You know what? I'm here for you and I support you. Thank you. Okay. It's time to close out with our one in five. If you haven't listened to our earlier review episodes, we like to tack on at the end of a review, a game that we really like, but is usually pretty short. And we're going to do a base why you should enjoy this game, or at least check it out. And we're going to do it in five minutes or less. Ryan, what's today's game? Today's game is Easy D6 by Rune Hammer Publishing. That is E. Z D6. It's a fantasy game that, as you may have guessed, uses a D6 system and is very quick and easy to play. So how does it work? I take all my D10s and then... Oh, well, no, back just a second there. So you roll a D6 against the target number set by the GM to succeed. Sometimes you roll multiple dice and select either the highest or the lowest, depending on the circumstances. So think like the advantage-disadvantage mechanic from D&D. Magic, whether divine or arcane, is a contested roll against the GM to make it harder and to make it much less predictable. That sounds very simple. How long does it take to make a character? It is incredibly quick to make a character. They provide a list of the typical fantasy archetypes with their own abilities, and then you pick a few talents to customize your character and give them a few aspects to represent their character's specific skills. It takes less than 10 minutes, probably. So besides being fast and simple, why would we ever want to play this instead of D&D? I would play it because I really enjoy how much leeway the system gives you. Obviously, you can play any game however you want, but Easy D6 does a great job of providing you simple tools that you can put together and change to make your own antagonists and to customize your character. The game uses a resource called Karma. Each time you fail a roll, you get a point of Karma, and you can use that to add to a roll later. It's a nice way to prevent your turn from just being completely wasted. You miss the monster in combat. We still get a point of karma and that'll help out later. And finally, of course, I like the magic system. Well, you gotta love any game that helps you fail forward. That's just good design. Mm -hmm. So tell us about this magic system you love. Sure. So if you play a sorcerer, you pick an edition of magic like necromancy or elementalism or botanyism. They give you a few specific examples of what that tradition can do, but then they also give you very wide guidelines for how powerful magic should be in general so you can improvise an effect on the fly. If you pick necromancy, they tell you like, all right, this is how you raise zombies because if you're playing a necromancer, I mean, we all know why you're playing a necromancer, but there's still a wide range of effects and guidelines they give you. So like, well, I want to improvise a spell to rot the door so I can get inside. Sure. And the GM can run with that. Mages can be really powerful, but they're also very unreliable in combat since all magic rolls are contested by the GM based on how big of an effect they're going for. 
Okay. I'm playing a mage and I choose feral nature wizard. Sure. What's your favorite archetype? I, of course, enjoy sorcerers because I always enjoy sorcerers. Yeah, shocker. Yeah, I know. If you haven't noticed, all of the players, not even the players, me too, even though I'm usually the GM, all of the people on our podcast have a type. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so tell us about your sorcerers. Sure. So like I said, I really enjoy sorcerers. I enjoy how magic can be pretty unpredictable, and they throw a little curveball in there. If you roll a one on one of your casting dice, but you still succeed, your spell fails, unless you choose to take damage. So again, magic's very powerful, very flexible, but kind of unreliable. But even though I love the sorcerers, what I actually really want to play is a scald. An easy d6, scalds are the sort of bards. They're travelers who know a lot of legends and minor magic. But their big thing is that they can play with the karma system more than everyone else. They can spin karma to change other people's roles. I really want to play a scald that goes all in on the talents that let you manipulate karma. No, I'm going to add it to his. I'm going to take away from yours. I failed. I get two points of karma instead of just one. I really want to lean all in on that and see what that system can do. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, thank you all so much as we have now done our full review of Alien and our one in five on on E-Z-D-6. That is not easy the word. That is E the letter, Z the letter, D the letter, 6 the number. And I am done with that nonsense. Thank you for joining us. All right. Well, I'm Ryan, the synthetic rules guy. I'm Ben, the test subject player. I'm Helen, the acid-blooded storyteller. And I'm Jared, the screaming game master. And together we have been the Starting Equipment Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and join in next week. So come down the Sony Ride